SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, your home for G5 football as well as SB Nation's home for the AAC. I am Joe Broback, and as usual, I am joined by my co-host, Dan Morrison. Dan, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, we got opening day back. Red Sox got rained out, but other than that, we're good. That's right. Opening day. So that means we have, you know, football. We have spring football going on, both in practices and actual games for the FCS. Mm -hmm. We have baseball starting. Basketball is going on right now. Hockey is going on. There's a lot going on, which is, is a good time of the year. In, in the sports world, that's for sure. And uh, just like opening day, uh, I am still figuring things out, trying to figure out when to uh, record and, and actually recording. Uh, unlike last week, we had a little bit of a hiccup, uh, but we're going to try this again. And uh, I already forgot to record about a minute in, but at least I realized it. And now we're trying this again. So this is really round three, third time's a charm, I guess is what they say. Hopefully, hopefully. Uh, real quick, we did have a spring game since the last time that we recorded, and that was USF spring game. Uh, yes. I didn't realize that they were playing that early. I, I, you know, spring spring information has been very difficult to come across this year, uh, and which is not good after you had a, a year of COVID where you don't know who's coming mm-hmm. back and what's going on. But I just wanted to talk about that real quick. Uh, you know, I think the biggest surprise was Cade Fortin, the quarterback for USF, really stuck uh, stood out as. Uh, their option for QB1 and Miami transfer Jaron Williams really struggled. And I think that when I've been putting out articles, people have been telling me from the USF fan base that Williams is going to be the guy. Why, you know, they were kind of upset that I had included him and it, and it doesn't seem like he's the guy right now. Yeah. I mean, they, USF had a lot of issues last year. Let's not pretend it comes down to one thing, but one of those issues was they didn't know who their quarterback was. And, Fortnite did not play much. I forget if it was COVID issues or injury issues that he had, but he didn't see the field a lot. And it was McLeod and Noah Johnson, and neither one of them was frankly good enough to get things done. Uh, Johnson graduated, McLeod transferred, and now it's Fortin and Williams. You'd like to think they're not in that same, we don't know who our quarterback is by the end of the season mess, but you know, if all of, them we're expecting it to be Williams and now Forden's the guy, it's going to be an awkward situation there. Again, we're, I mean, Jeff Scott should know who his guy is and not worry about what the fan base says they want, but it could be an awkward situation again, where they don't know for sure who the quarterback is. Right. Well, and Forden probably had a little bit of a leg up because he knows the playbook a little bit better. Whereas Williams yeah, is true. just coming in, but I mean, he had an entire spring practice figure out, I don't know. I don't know the entire situation. We'll obviously wait until the fall. This is not a quarterback battle that we expect to have decided by the fall or by the spring, excuse me, anyways. So it's not like we're really yeah. missing out on much, but it, you know, it was, it was nice to see a USF offense make some big plays. Now the defense were, was without uh, a bunch of key players, but you know, yeah. USF hasn't had much since Quentin flowers left. So it was nice to see them at least, you know, show up and put up, put up some uh, watchable plays. Definitely. Yeah. They definitely should be explosive just from the talent they can get, but we shall see. We shall see. All right. So what we were uh, planning on doing last time, which we recorded and and then, you know, the mishap happened is we're, we, you know, since we didn't have a chance, we didn't have a podcast last year. And now that we are back, 
uh, and we didn't really get a chance to break down kind of what happened. Uh, I kind of wanted to go through each team and talk about kind of their 2020 season. Uh, we broke it up into what used to be the AAC West and the AAC East. Um, so for those of you who might be confused why the titles are saying AAC West and East when there's not divisions, that's just how we broke it down. Uh, we're just going to kind of go through each team and kind of reminisce about either good things or bad things, uh, which in this first, and we're going to do the West first. So there's not a ton of bad things really to talk about, but uh, we will dive in as much as we can to each team here. So we're going to start uh, from top to bottom, uh, best to worst. And the first team is obviously the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Uh, Tulsa went six and three last year. You know, we talked a lot about Zayvon Collins. We talked a lot about their fourth quarter comebacks. You know, they have they have a bunch of games where they're they're close. You know, the Tulane game, they needed Hail Mary to tie it, and then Zayvon Collins has a pick six to win the game. Uh, you know, they had a tough loss to Cincinnati in the conference championship, and then they lose to Mississippi State with the uh, unfortunate fight at the end, which was kind of a damper on that season. Uh, but what did we learn most about Tulsa, and is that something that they can do again this year? Oh, I think we learned that their defense was a lot better than we were giving it credit for in past seasons, first off. And I think, obviously, Zayvon Collins was the standout. He was the standout in all of the conference on defense. And But it's more than just him. If you go back and watch Tulsa Tulsa's defense from last year, they were huge on the defensive line compared to a lot of other defensive lines in this conference. And they are very good at stopping the run and they're very confident in coverage. So I do think that defense sticks around for another year, maybe not as good as they were last year, because they're going to again be missing Zayvon Collins going forward. And he is a huge part of that, but I don't think they're going to be awful next year on defense. Yeah. They, they returned literally everyone except for Collins. And then on the offensive side of the ball, they return everybody except for Zach Smith. And then if you want to count Corey Taylor as a starter, even though he really wasn't, and they also lose TK Wilkerson. But I think this is a team that is definitely going to be competing for a conference championship again. Obviously it depends on the quarterback. That's probably their biggest position of need. But uh, I don't know if it's a, you know, they're not sneaking up on anybody because last year they came into the this season with nine wins in their previous three seasons. Mm-hmm. and, it, you know, you're just not going to sneak up on anybody after last year, especially when mm-hmm. you make it to the conference championship game. Like, you're you're on the map. People know who you are. There's no sneaking up, and, and you know, people are going to prepare a, a little bit tougher, a little bit more mm-hmm. for you because they know that they have to. Uh, so that'll, that'll be interesting. A, a team that we thought was going to be in competition for the conference championship was the Memphis Tigers. They were not. They, they finished 8-3, which I was really surprised to go back and look at that, that they were an 8-3 team. It didn't feel like an 8-3 team to me. Uh, and, you know, Kenny Gainwell, their, their star of their team, opts out before the season because of COVID issues, or not COVID issues, COVID concerns. Uh, you know, he had family members that you experienced COVID and he just didn't want to be a part of that, and that's that's just fine. Uh, DeMonte Coxey, in a completely different opt-out, like, I still don't really know what happened there. It's it's a weird situation. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out as the NFL draft approaches. But that was a really weird weird uh, incident, really, if you want to call it that. You know, this is they finally beat UCF, and we thought, well, this this uh, Memphis team is legit. 
But, uh, you know, UCF finishes six and four, and obviously it wasn't the win that we thought it was. Uh, you know, they also beat three teams in USF, Navy, and Houston who finished seven and 20. They beat those three teams by a combined seven points. And then now in the offseason, they see this exodus of players. So did, did you think that this Memphis team was, was a legit contender? Like, were they really right there or were they just a lucky team? I think they were closer to lucky than good in a lot of respects last year. I mean, they were still good and effective on offense. Like they've been, they still had some nice players on defense. O'Brien Goodson comes to mind uh, real quick on that. But you go back and they were two. You shouldn't have a close game with USF last year. You just really shouldn't be within one score of them unless you're Temple or ECU. Everyone else should win that game by two, three scores. That's just the reality of it. Navy was a mess last year on defense, particularly. They, I know that their style of play creates a lot of games closer than they should be, but still, same thing with Houston and Temple. Those games were close. They got blown out by Cincinnati, and they frankly lost by a lot more to Tulane than they had. Any, they should have beaten Tulane last year, frankly, if we're getting into it. Even the UCF game, I thought they got lucky that UCF kind of laid off the gas, which... Well, I it's think UCF missed, but... UCF missed an extra point, I think. At the end of the game, they drove down into field goal range. Uh, basically, it was going to be a long kick. Heupel had Gabriel lay up a couple passes. They didn't work, so they just settled on a field goal, which uh, it, I know it's not UCF time right now, but they're absolutely atrocious special teams last year. Missed a kick at least every game. That was when they decided to miss one against Memphis was to win the game as time expired. But, yeah, I, I thought – I thought they got lucky in that game that UCF in every single game of theirs, again, separate conversation, but just sort of let teams come back and laid off the gas and said, it is what it is. Do you think Memphis is headed in the wrong direction or do you think that um, they're rebuilding? Maybe it may, might still be competitive because I feel like they're headed in the wrong direction with all losing all this talent. And I feel like Memphis fans think that they're going to be good again, but I just don't see that. I I don't think they're going to be one of the top three or four teams in the conference next year. I think they're probably going to be closer to number five. Uh, I look at them, I go, it really shouldn't ever have been a rebuild. I know last year with COVID, you mentioned the opt-outs they had, which is always going to affect you. And I mentioned that they were still effective on offense, but a lot of that had to do with having a quarterback who'd been there for three years as the starter at that point. You know, he can make a lot of things happen. Uh when you hire from within, when your coach moves on, you're hoping for a smooth transition. I just didn't feel like they got that, especially with the opt-outs coming now. Like Again, to an extent, every team's going to have transfer portal movement going forward. Just I think that's the way the game is working. And, uh, if you cannot work the transfer portal the right way, you should be okay. I know Memphis is working a lot. They got a couple quarterbacks out of the transfer portal uh, coming in on, in their own right, but you just want to see it be a little bit smoother and you wonder if Silverfield is a first time head coach. Sometimes they just don't have it in them. Yeah. But. It's, it's interesting to see where he'll take them because I feel like the, the amount of talent they lost this year, like uh, all of these guys, Brady White, Kenny Gainwell, DeMonte Coxey, Taj Washington, Obina Easy, Joseph Dorsey as a Brian Goodson, Tim Hart, TJ Carter, like they all could have come back but all of them are gone. So I don't know if that's a, if there's a bigger story that we're maybe not seeing. I feel like there is, but 
you know, yeah. this isn't a team that's going to just like fall off the face of the earth or, you know, when you have teams like USF Temple and ECU, you know, we'll get in their your wins, conference, yeah. yeah, you're definitely not going to be at the bottom, but I, I just don't think that this is a team that competes for a conference championship by any means here. Uh, a team that we'll move on to is a team that I think is maybe the sleeper of the AAC, a, mm-hmm. a team that has a ton of talent at least on the offensive side of the ball, and that's the SMU Mustangs. They go seven and three last year. You know they they felt like they were close in a, in a to being in a competitive spot, but mm-hmm. you know they uh, you know they lose to Tulsa close. They, I think they get blown out by uh, Cincinnati, and it's just kind of like they're just not quite there. Uh, but then. You know, they have a lot coming back, especially offensively, and we'll talk about the defense in a second. But what does it say about a team that you lose Reggie Roberson early in the year, you lose TJ McDaniel, and this offense almost doesn't, like, skip a beat? Is that, like, are we witnessing a team under Sonny Dykes that's, like, rising up to the top, kind of like Cincinnati did? Or is this just, like, another – it's going to be a really good offensive team and the defense just can't keep up just like we saw last year. Well, yeah, that defense is the thing they need to figure out. It is the difference uh, between being a good team and a team that wins those important games because that's where they've been lacking the past two seasons. They don't win those close games. Uh, they don't. They didn't beat Memphis last uh, 2019, that is when I say last year. Uh, 2020, they got blown out by Cincinnati. They I don't remember them playing UCF in either one of those two years, so they didn't get that comparison. Uh, they did beat Memphis this past year, but we just talked about how we didn't think Memphis was as good as the record was to begin with. So, you know, and when it comes down to it, this year they really they've seven three is a good record, but seven wins against some. I don't know if you'd call them good teams. I don't know if you'd put any one of them in that like good category, a lot of average. Uh, I do think that that with all that being said, I do think they're going to be a contender next year because there's very few teams in the American who have very good defense. It's basically Cincinnati. Uh, other teams have good defenses some of the time or some seasons, but not consistently. Uh, obviously, Shane Bouchelle moves on. Got to replace him. I think they've got a couple of guys who are going to fight for it between Tanner Mordecai and I'm blanking on the freshman's name uh, right Preston now. Preston Stone. Yeah, Preston Stone. Uh those two guys will fight for I in my back of my head, I think Mordecai is going to be the guy just because he's got more time in college. Uh, and that tends to lead to winning the job, but who knows? Uh, Ulysses Bentley is an excellent compliment to whatever they're doing in the passing game. So I don't have too much concern about them on offense going forward, even though they have to replace uh, Bouchelle. I just, you're right. It is coming down to, can they get a defense that, doesn't even have to get all that many stops, force a couple turnovers. That's all it comes down to. And this, a lot of times in this conference is force a couple turnovers. Right. And you, we talked about this last time we recorded, but you look at the 2017 UCF team, like that wasn't a dominant defense by any means, but they knew how to turn the ball mm-hmm. over back to their offense and let that offense do what it does best, which is score points. And that's, that's the best way. I honestly, I think that's the best defense to have with an explosive offense is not a good one, but an opportunistic one because, I mean, I, I don't think that SMU is going to have a dominant defense ever, um, especially yeah. not under Sonny Dykes. But if you can find a way to get the ball back to your offense, 
that also takes you off the field and gives your offense some a chance to do what it does best, which is score a ton of points. Uh, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what what this team does. Are they on the rise or um, is this just like they're going to be a seven, eight, nine win team every single year? Yeah, I, I tend to think that all the teams we're talking about today, at least they're going to be the best team from the group next year. I don't know if that's second place or third place in the conference next year. I, I think we both probably would put Cincinnati in first place uh, for that pecking order. I don't know if they'll be the team who makes that conference championship game that we didn't haven't seen recently or not, but I think out of this group, they've got the best shot. Yeah, I don't think anybody's picking, uh, you know, unless you're trying to, like, get clicks or views or whatever. I don't think anybody's picking anybody but Cincinnati to be that first team, but I think there's a lot of teams – that are vying for that second place position. So a lot of people will put Memphis there, SMU, UCF. We'll see what, uh, where they get placed. One team that I don't think anybody has a good read on, including myself is the Houston Cougars. Last year they went three and five, you know, they started the year off. It was, it was very bizarre start to their year with COVID and everything. And last year, I think COVID and injuries really, you know, hampered them in terms of consistency. Uh, we saw a lot of guys play on the offensive line. I think 11 guys played and, and really everywhere else too. We saw a lot of guys play, which doesn't help with, uh, with anything. Um, so uh, do we, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this with the next team too, but do you just throw out a, a year like last year when like you have so many things that like you can't really control? I mean, obviously you don't want to make excuses, but like, with COVID and injuries, like this felt like a team that was like, we don't really know what we got from them last year. So let's just throw that out and move on. Yes. And no, you throw it out because it's not like Houston was the only team in the country to have to deal with COVID-19. But, you know, they played UCF and lost pretty bad to UCF. UCF right before that game had to kick four players off of their defense, along with having a number of opt outs before the season started. Uh, You know, uh, Temple, they had a terrible time with COVID too, so they're not the only one in the conference who had issues. I don't. I'm going to go ahead and try to just say not make excuses for anyone. We all had bad seasons, yeah. To an extent, you say some teams got hit worse than others, but it is what it is, you know. And that's the tricky thing at Houston, though, is Holgerson has now had two seasons in a row where, through circumstances pretty abnormal, they've had pretty bad seasons overall, uh, especially for that program, which we've talked about in the past. I think we talked about it when we tried to record last week. They should be one of the two or three best teams in the program, in the program, in the conference rather, all the time, no matter what, because they've got the history, they've got the money, they've got the facilities, they've got the geography, they have everything you need to be successful. So they shouldn't have losing seasons ever, basically. I, I agree. I, I think that's the maybe that that might be the most true thing that we say on this podcast is that Houston should never have a losing season with the amount of talent they have there. And I get that everybody's recruiting down there. You know, every, like Texas, Texas A&M, yeah. Al, the Alabamas. The, I mean, Jalen Waddle's from Houston, and they, he was never going to go to Houston. You know, he just went to Alabama, mm-hmm. and now he's one of the best wide receivers. Although I haven't heard a lot about him in the uh, draft process. That's really interesting. Well, but, hopefully keep it quiet and he can go to New England at like 15, <laughs> Yeah, right? I think that's what everybody's trying to do is like, don't talk about him so we can take him later. But 
you know, a, a team that we didn't talk about a lot, speaking of not talking about things, is is Navy. And, uh, yeah. you know, Navy ship really sank kind of to start the season, uh, no pun intended. Uh, and, you know, I think that the game that everybody talks about is the first game against BYU, just because the news comes out during the game that that uh, they don't tackle during leading up to that game, which then people make jokes about, well, they're not really doing any tackling. So that's obviously not the right thing to do. But I think with last year, you can't really fault Kenny Niamatololo for looking out for his player's safety, looking out for their health. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that uh, another thing that we don't talk about enough is the obstacles with COVID that, that coaches had to, take last year you know you're yeah. trying to keep guys far away because obviously you get COVID by being in close proximity to other people and when you're t- I mean tackling is not like a direct cause but you know he, he did what he thought was best and obviously that didn't work and you know uh, like I said with Houston this seems like kind of just throw this out last year obviously the quarterback play wasn't what we thought it would be but like how much weight do we put into the last season, and do we think that that Coach Ken can t- turn things around and and get them back to being even just like a, a competent team? Yeah, I mean, I don't put much stock into last season for them, which I know is a contradiction to what I just said. But because it's Navy, it's a little bit different for me. Navy is one of the hardest places to win at as a head coach. It just is because you're not recruiting division one talent. You're recruiting a whole different breed of human being who's going to go to the Academy and go through all that comes with that. And it's just, you don't have a shot at a four-star or three-star prospect. You just don't, uh, not realistically, at least. Uh, with that being said, last year was as bad as the season can go for Navy. They got embarrassed on national TV to start the season. We talked a little bit about that uh, whole no tackling thing. Other teams around the country don't tackle for practice ever. Uh, Dartmouth, uh, who just last time the Ivy League actually played football, won the Ivy League. They haven't been tackling for years now as a safety precaution to prevent like hurting each other in practice. They use like these robotic dummies. Uh, so it's possible to be good and not tackle in practice. I do think they look very rusty. They also, as it turned out later, BYU was dominant. Uh, you know, they didn't win either Commander and Chiefs trophy game. That's Obviously, never what you want to see. They even had to go lose to Army at Army, which is a little sprinkle on top of it all. Uh, didn't get their shot at Notre Dame, but Kenny Matalolo has been there so long and been there so successful that you just can't put stock in one bad season like that. Uh, the offense is very particular. They never truly found a great replacement for Malcolm Perry. Uh, last year, Dalen Hayes, uh, or sorry, Dalen Morris, Dalen Hayes, he's at Notre Dame. That's a different thing on the mind entirely. I think maybe would wish they had Dalen Hayes. Oh, yeah. Dalen Hayes gave them some trouble a couple of years ago. Uh, but Dalen Morris was the quarterback they had flying in. He was a senior. He'll need to be replaced. And now uh, going forward, he wasn't all that great in the role. He wasn't terrible, but. Yeah, as long as they find a quarterback, they'll be fine. And it's going to take a string of three win seasons before I start to say maybe Ken's lost it. Yeah, it's definitely going to take multiple seasons for us to to think that. That's for sure. You know, one season is kind of just like, all right, well, let's just forget about that one. If it happens again, then we'll address it. But since it doesn't really happen that often, we just kind of move on, really. 
Uh, you know, another team, I feel like the quest is just full of team, uh, sleeper teams and teams that could compete for a conference championship, but uh, you just don't know. And it feels like this team might have all the pieces to make a run like that. But, uh, you know, that team is Tulane. They went six and six last year. Another thing that was weird is seeing all these different records you have. Tulane went six and six. Navy went three and seven. Houston mm-hmm. went three and five. SMU seven and three. Memphis went eight and three, and then Tulsa makes the conference championship game at six and three. So it's it was just a very bizarre season. But uh, you know, Tulane, the big story there is uh, there's a couple things. The first is that they they turn to Michael Pratt, the freshman, to kind of study the offense, which is usually not something you do when you need to study an offense. It's go to a freshman who doesn't have experience. That's just, uh, you know, that's just a recipe for disaster normally. And granted, he had his freshman moments and has stuff to work on, but this is a kid who I think can put it all together and make this offense go, especially when you have receivers like Deuce Watts and Jaquan Jackson on the outside. And, uh, you know, on defense, Cam Sample and Patrick Johnson were studs, Mm -hmm. and both of them are gone, so they're going to have to figure something out there. You know, there's not a lot that they lose. They return a lot of good players at key positions too. Is this another year where – I think my biggest complaint with Tulane is like they've been 5-7 and seven or 7-5 seven and five the last like three years. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, well, they exceeded expectations. And like, well, I get there are restrictions, but I feel like this year, like it has to be more than seven wins. This has to be a team that is given, you know, the top teams a run for their money. And even without Sample and Johnson, like you have guys on defense that can do that. So, like, is this another year of around 500, or is this a year that they finally take that step and win eight plus games? I thought last year should have been the year they took that jump. Uh, they had Keon Howard to start the season at quarterback, and I thought he was going to be because he was a senior. I thought he was going to be able to step in and be the guy to take them forward because they had. Like you mentioned, Johnson, you mentioned Sample. That defensive end combo to me was the best in the conference last season. Um, they've had some very nice running backs and wide receivers come through that program lately. Very talented, a lot of fast, uh, quick guys. Uh, I thought last year just they had to take that jump. They didn't. Now we know that's going to be Pratt going forward. He'll be a sophomore, so he should be better. He should take a step forward from where he was this past year. But I don't see Tulane being better than 500 next year. I think they're probably a little bit below 500, frankly. And I don't think that that's a huge issue in the long run because of, you mentioned the restrictions to Tulane. If you look at Tulane's history, uh, putting aside that they've got more SEC championships than like half of the SEC does, they're very bad at football when it comes down to it. They made the decision back in the 60s to be an academically minded school uh, and not raise their scholarship limit, which is when they, they and Georgia Tech left the SEC. And since then, they've been pretty, other than 1998, pretty atrocious these past three seasons. First time they've ever gone to three bowl games in a row. Uh, it was the first time they won back-to-back bowl games. They lost this past year, but uh, before that, these are not things that I think we can just take lightly, that the program's history dictates that there really is a limitation to what they might be capable of. In terms of recruitment, they're in a good location, but it's hard to get guys because of the academic standards and the fact that anyone worth a lot of talent isn't going to Tulane compared to their other options in the area. It's just not. 
Yeah, how, uh, how dare you, Tulane? How dare you be a smart campus? How dare you? Shame on you. Focus on academics. What is this? This is college same football. Thing, yeah, same thing with Navy. Why are you thinking going to be in an academy for something better than this? <laughs> right? Shame. Yeah. That, that's that's going to be the tweet. <laughs> Dan and Joe just bash service academies and smart kids. Listen, we can't have any nerds ruining the conference. Yeah, we need stupidity in the world, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this has been this has been fun. It was a little shorter. I do apologize. Uh, my son is going to sleep currently, so that is why we are a little bit shorter today. And the reason why we have to cut it short is because my voice is too loud for him to get to sleep. And unless all you want my wife to be a part of this conversation, uh, we're going to wrap this up here. Uh, you know, if you, uh, if you enjoy this episode, please make sure that you are leaving us a review, leave a five-star review. And, uh, and you can ask us a question. We'll be doing mailbags in the future. So leave a five-star, any five-star we get and a question will be answered on a future mailbag. Uh, you can also, Find me on Twitter at Joe Broback. You can find Dan at Dan underscore Morrison 96, correct? Yep. Yeah, you got it. Perfect. You can find the Underdog Podcast on all podcasting platforms, really, Spotify, Google, whatever, Apple, whatever you really want. You probably can find us there. You can follow Underdog Dynasty at Underdog Dynasty. And next week we are previewing the AAC East or what was the AAC East, uh, you know, looking at can Cincinnati do it again? Is UCF the team that's going to be their biggest challenger in the conference? What What is going on at USF? Is, is Temple a disaster waiting to happen? And is ECU actually going to figure things out? Or what's going to happen there? We're not going to go into too much depth there, but we are going to take a look back at their season and what that means made for the 2021 season. So until next time, thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast. <laughs>